0: The roads of Elysium run through it like veins. From small paths down mountains to city-built lanes, they'll guide you home or take you away, or make you visit village that begs you to stay. Up through the pass, down through the grass, stick to your map, veer not from the path, or perhaps take an unfamiliar bend. After all, the aim of the song is the tune, not the end. Lillian stopped in her tracks. Ahead of her, she could still see the barn burning away. By now, black smoke was billowing out of the roof, creating a tower 30 feet high. She was within shouting distance now of the farmer and his family. The farmer was still holding a pail of water, a pathetic suggestion of hope against the inferno beyond. He was older than Lillian had suspected. Lillian could see white hairs sprouting from beneath his straw sunguard hat. His family were nearby, closer to the farmhouse. There was an older woman, presumably the farmer's wife, and two young men who were similar-looking enough to be brothers. They were watching their father square off against a nasty-looking man with a pointed nose and a scarred lip. Him and his thuggish friends were blocking the way to the barn. Lillian had heard only moments ago that they were the ones who had set it alight and were holding it hostage until the farmer gave them some sort of treasure or money in return. The scene was a tragic one, and Lillian had hoped to come to the farmer's aid although, admittedly, she had no idea how she would be able to help. Currently, everyone was frozen still. The fire could be heard cracking and hissing in the barn, but the shouted exchanges had stopped. Lillian had also stopped. Everyone was looking about, cocking their heads in confusion as they attempted to discern the source of a song. Lillian could hear it clearly now. It was several voices singing in unison, singing a song she had not heard before. The song was unsettling. It was melodious and admittedly well sung, but the feeling behind it was threatening somehow. Lillian felt a chill run down her back. It was made worse by the fact that she could not see where the voices were coming from. The group ahead did not appear to have noticed her, so Lillian took the opportunity to drop down into the tall grass. Fritha took the hint and dropped to her belly, her coat shifting into a green colour with a grassy texture as she did so. Lillian could not get over how such a big creature could disappear so easily. One of the thugs shouted something. Who's doing that? Shut up! The pointy-nosed man snapped at his friend before reeling around, his eyes darting crazily from corner to corner. Lillian was looking too, but then realised that she had better ways of finding sounds that didn't involve her eyes. She closed her eyes and slipped into a relaxed focus. The first sound to hit her was Fritha's heavy breathing. She could feel her weight against her, and the vibrations of her heartbeat echoed through her body with heavy thuds. Lillian expanded her sphere of attention and stretched it outwards, Like tentacles feeling their way through the grass, she weaved past insects rubbing their chirping legs together. She found frogs by a creek and the quickened heartbeats of the frightened farmers. The bandits were also scared. Lillian could hear their shallow breaths and their clothes rustling as their muscles tensed, ready to spring into fight or flight. The song was always present, like a blanket over the entire scene. This made it difficult to find at first, but after concentrating on the voices for just a few more seconds, Lillian found them. She had expected them to be hidden behind a wall or building, but when she opened her eyes she quickly looked left, expecting to see the singers arriving at any instant from down the main road. The voices hadn't been making an effort to hide, but the quality of their song had meant that no one could place them. Lillian pushed herself up on her elbows slightly to get a better look. She had distinctly heard three voices, two low tones and one higher. As expected, two men and a woman appeared walking down the road towards the farm. The bandits and farmers turned to look at them. Lillian could see that they were wearing the red cloth shirts, dark red trousers and silver breastplates of the Hundred. The two men even carried the distinct pikes that made the small army seem so tall and dangerous. The woman carried two small axes in both hands. Lillian had seen similar axes in Ben Luna. Her family even had one. They were used to chop smaller bits of wood for the fire, though Lillian had never seen any so brightly polished. Lillian was confused. Why were these three mercenaries here and not with the rest of their group? She watched as the soldiers approached the burning barn. They stopped singing when they were within speaking distance of the bandits. They rounded off the song by stomping their feet together, kicking up a small cloud of dust as they did. The two men stepped to either side of their female colleague and lowered their pikes. The woman, who Lillian could see was wearing a helmet shaped like a cow's head, its blank silver eyes twisted into a terrible frozen shout, shifted her weight casually and spoke up. "'Why is this barn on fire?' Her voice was clear and stern." The impact of their impressive arrival was clearly not lost on the bandits. One of the thug's eyes were so wide, Lillian wondered if they might pop out of his head. Their leader was gritting his teeth. It was clear from just looking at the scene what was happening. You get out of here, you understand. This doesn't concern you. He puffed his chest out as he shouted, but Lillian could hear the fear cracking his voice. He was about to speak again. When the farmer cut him off. These villains are burning down my property. They want my money, but I've told them we ain't got much. The man with the scarred lip, obviously the leader of these men, rushed towards the old man with his sword up. The farmer shut his eyes and brought his hands up to his face, dropping his bucket in the process. A feeble amount of water splashed to the ground. The clattering of the bucket had only just stopped before the farmer, opened his eyes again. A large pike was embedded in the ground in front of him, forming a barrier between him and the bandit. It was still vibrating from the impact as Lillian looked to one of the soldiers. He was on one knee, his right hand stretched out in front of him after having released the pike. Step back, leave this place. The woman with the cow helmet spoke again. The bandit leader having narrowly avoided being skewered on a pike, turned to look at his men. Clearly not wanting to appear weak, he spoke with as much confidence and bravado as his shaky legs would grant him. Sod this. We'll come back later. He pointed a scarred hand at the farmer. We know you got money in that house. We got plenty of time, more men and more fire. Come on, lads. He gestured to his cronies. And they started walking away. They glared at the soldiers as they walked past. Some men looked pleased to be going. Others were angry, probably hoping to prove themselves against some members of the legendary hundred. Lillian watched them walk despondently away and caught sight of a cloud of dust in the distance. Lillian remembered that they had instructed their caravan to take the road round to the smoke. This must be them arriving now. She hoped that the bandits wouldn't cause them any trouble as they crossed paths. As soon as the men were a safe distance away, the farmer and his family sprang into action. They fetched more pails and ran over to a pump at the side of the farmhouse. The soldiers helped as well, laying down their pikes and running into the barn to extract any bales of hay that had not yet been touched by the fire. Lillian saw her chance to provide meaningful help and she leapt to her feet. She waved and shouted as she ran towards them and she noticed the soldiers tense ever so slightly as they turned to look at her. But after seeing she was just a young girl with a big dog, they relaxed and went back to helping. About a minute later, Mr Atakop had joined them and the caravan were just pulling up as well. Everyone chipped in and ran about fetching pails of water and trying desperately to save any hay bales. It took nearly an hour to get the fire under control and for people to enter the barn properly to survey the damage. Luckily, the fire had been started by a torch tossed to the top of a large pile of hay. This meant that some of the roof was badly burnt, but had the fire been started at the base, it would have been a lot worse. Even so, the farmer's wife, who Lillian found out was called Gemma, had tears welling in her eyes as she passed round cups of tea to everyone who had helped. "'We provide feed for the whole region,' she explained. "'Everyone depends on us to feed their livestock in the winter. We'll manage a few weeks, but—' She cut herself off, stifling a sob. Everyone was sitting on and around the decking in front of the farmhouse. Some folks were tending to burnt hands— Others were resting their eyes after the commotion. The family were still in shock. I don't know what we would have done if you hadn't showed up, the farmer, Tim Garrow was his name, said to the mercenary woman. We saw your company earlier, Mr Atkop interjected. What made you separate? The mercenaries eyed him with cold gazes. Lillian felt uneasy when they spoke. They looked at people as if they were things. We saw the smoke and were instructed to investigate. The woman with the cow helmet spoke with an accent similar to the people of Hunsberg, only softer. Tim Garrow seemed to be plucking up the courage to say something. I'm forever in your debt, my, my lady. I'm afraid I've not to give you for your services, save my gratitude. I'm aware of how you make your living. The woman looked at him and took off her helmet. Fair hair unfurled from under it and her countenance seemed to soften with it. This event can be free of charge. The farmer's relief was palpable, but, the woman continued, The man said they would be back. Perhaps they are coming back tonight. We can stay for one night before we must get back to our company, but we will not stay for free. The proposition hung in the air. Lillian was letting Fritha drink from her cup, but even she turned to look as she sensed the shift in atmosphere. It was not as threatening as setting a barn on fire, but it was almost as cold. The farmer nodded. You've already done so much. I cannot ask any more of you. My family have lived here a long time. We've not much, but we'll handle ourselves if they come back. Mr Atkop narrowed his eyes. ''You keep saying you don't have anything to give. Why were those men so convinced that you had money here?'' ''I don't know. They just showed up and started threatening us and demanding we give them a ton of coin. We have a bit stashed away for a bad winter, but it's really not much, and giving it to them could be a death sentence for the farm. It would have been the same as losing the barn, so all I could do was watch it burn.'' Everyone thought on his words for a moment. Lillian noticed one of his sons staring at his feet, his eyes glistening with tears. The mood was about to change. Lillian sensed the summation of things with the awkward shifting of weight and occasional glances at the road. Mr Hayes even breathed in a long breath, ready to give his condolences and be on his way. When the farmer's son spoke up, it were my fault. The young man stood up, clutching his loose shirt and looking as though he was about to cry. Shut up, Ben. His brother stood beside him. Jeb. Both men were cut off by their father. His tone was deadly serious. What's all this now? What do you know? The two boys were the picture of shame. Their cheeks flushed and their eyes darted to the ground and sky. It was Ben who spoke first. A few days back, When me and Jeb were in town, we had a bit to drink. Nothing too crazy, just a few jars at the horns. But there were these men, big blokes, saying they'd heard Fridos farmers are rich because of the city trade. At this point, he stuttered and fiddled with his shirt. Lillian could sense his father's anger rising. Ben continued, Well, I'd had a bit to drink, and I wanted to do as proud, so I told him we were the richest farmers about. Best product biggest house he plunged his face into his hands his voice coming out muffled i must have drawn them right here and now they think we got a ton of cash to give them dad i'm so sorry the silence fell lillian expected farmer garrow to explode in a fire worse than the one they'd just put out but he simply sighed well if that's what's put the idea in their head there won't be any dissuade in them I dare say you lot shown up hasn't managed to persuade anyone. We're dirt poor. He pointed to the three mercenaries. Lillian gathered that hiring even three of the hundred would set most folks back an arm and a leg. The mercenaries showed no remorse. They had worked for free once that day. That was enough of an apology. Suddenly, Mr Atikop spoke. We should assume that they were serious about their threat... Right now it doesn't matter what conclusion they've come to or how. If they plan on taking the farm, then we need to assume that's happening tonight. He looked at Mr Hayes and his family. I know the market starts soon. I wouldn't blame you if you wanted to leave. Mr Hayes cut him off. Oh no, I may never have met the Garrows before today, but round here we look after our own. I'll stay and help how I can. Mr. Garrow's chest swelled with pride and appreciation. Much obliged, Mr. Hayes. Mr. Garrow thought on the name. You're not Sam's boy, are you? Mr. Hayes nodded. I am and proud to be. We took over the Marrow Farm two years back. You knew my da? I did. Good man. I was sad to hear of his passing. The two farmers shared a respectful moment. How strange that you have a connection like that, Mr Atkop continued. Lillian sensed a hint of mock surprise in his voice. So if most of us from the caravan stay, then we should be a match for what we saw today. The danger arises if they decide to get reinforcements. At this he turned to the mercenary woman. I didn't catch your names. They each looked at him, stern and stoic as ever. My name is Solveig, Solveig, if you and your colleagues were to stay, then any reinforcements shouldn't be a problem. The woman, Solveig, barely let him finish. A rate must be negotiated. Mr Atkop smiled, a rare, charming grin. I don't suppose you'd accept a heartfelt appeal to your humanity? Solveig's expression did not change. No, she said. We do accept gold, though. If you have no gold, then we must be leaving. At that, one of the younger members of the caravan spoke up. He was a scrawny man that Lillian had barely noticed on the journey. He had a cart of spun and dyed wool and wore a silly woolen hat with a large brim. His voice cracked as he spoke. You leave now and you might as well drive the swords in us yourself. Everyone looked at him, but no one disagreed. The comment didn't seem to bother the mercenaries. Solveig simply looked at him as if if he was nothing more than a noise, like the buzz of a fly. It was then that Lillian had an idea. She got up and walked over to the three red and silver soldiers. Fritha instinctively followed her. She reached into a hidden pocket and pulled out her gold sovereign. Here, she said, this is all I have. I'm not sure it will be enough, but you're welcome to it. I'm going to stay and help these people. I would like it if you stayed as well. Lillian knew their chances of survival would double with three highly trained soldiers on their side. She hadn't seen anything worth spending the coin on in her travels. This seemed like a worthy cause, though. Solveig looked down. For an instant, Lillian thought she saw a sliver of character poke through her stony front. Perhaps it was Lillian's selfless act, or, more probably, it was just that she was surprised to see a child handing over such a large sum. She took it in her left hand and nodded. I'm sure this will do. A palpable sense of relief quickly spread around the group. There was little time to react, however, as Solveig addressed them. With the acceptance of this coin, I confirm a contract between the Garrow family and three members of the Ursus Centurion of Helvetis. We will fight until tomorrow morning at sunrise, or until we believe the contract to be over. Unless anyone has any disagreement, I will be taking control of the operation." She paused, as if waiting for someone to interject. No one did. Many people seemed happy for her to take charge. Lillian looked at some of the pitchforks and blunt spades lying around and wondered if they were really prepared for what was coming. Good, I suggest we eat and rest for one hour, then we begin preparations for defence. I will need all able men and fighters to meet me here. Those not willing to fight must find somewhere distant to hide. Mr Garrow interjected, there's a store shed through the trees over there, big enough to hide a cart behind and there's a stove to keep him warm. Good, Solvig replied. If you don't fight, you go there. You don't light the stove, though, smoke will be seen. As she said this last part, her eyes fell on Lillian as if she expected her to understand and take heed. Hang on, thought Lillian. Does she expect her to hide? Lillian was about to speak up and protest, but Solvig continued. I need all weapons here and any sacks of manure that you have to spare. This confused Lillian, but Mr Garrow nodded. Now eat and rest. We begin soon. Various groups began pulling away and fetching food from their packs. Lillian felt a hand grab her left arm and pull her back towards Mr Hayes' cart. She looked up to see Mr Atkop. That was... he faltered, trying to find the right words. A noble thing you did, Lillian... I'm sure the Garrow family appreciates it. Lillian felt as though she was in some kind of trouble, but she pushed the feeling back. It was her money and her decision. I don't like bullies, she replied. Besides, what happened to you not caring? Before Solveig arrived, you were ready to leave the Garrows to die. She hadn't forgotten his words. I stand by what I said, replied Mr Atkop. You're impulsive and reckless, if you had tried to defend the Garrows, you might have ended up with a sword in your side. You didn't even... He sighed a long and controlled breath, apparently trying to suppress some anger. Or was it fear? You have the right intentions, Lillian. I admire that. But you need to pick your battles. Literally. There is no shame in admitting you can't help or you can't win. How can you help others if you're dead? Hmm? You need to learn to judge your own abilities. You rushed over here with nothing but good intentions. And Fritha, Lillian protested. Yes, and Fritha, but she has teeth and claws. You have... He made a gesture at her, waving his arms as if pointing to nothing and everything. Lillian was fed up. So what? You want me to fight only when I can win? Wouldn't that mean I'm always fighting people weaker than me? ''That's called bullying!'' Mr Atkop shook his head. ''No, Lillian, do you remember what I said when I first told you about the lunar essence, about how power comes from advantage? Every winner has some kind of advantage, even if it's just a scrappy attitude. That can always make a difference!'' The key is to arm yourself with as many advantages as you can, ready to draw from a huge well of hidden gifts and abilities that can adapt to any situation. The key to fighting is the same as the key to politics. Only reveal your moves when they are least expected and most needed. Mr Atkop started rummaging around his pack, a medium-sized black bag with silver studs where the handle met the sack. He pulled out an object wrapped in a grey cloth and handed it to Lillian. I know you're going to want to fight tonight and it seems like I won't be able to stop you, but at least I can arm you. Lillian unfolded the cloth to find a long knife nestled inside it. The blade was almost the length of her forearm, which for someone of Lillian's height meant that it was practically a short sword. Its steel blade reflected Lillian's wide-eyed stare back at her. The handle was light and bronze and looked like the body of a short snake, the scales making a decent grip and the blade itself protruding from the snake's mouth. It even had four little fangs that gripped the blade. It was beautiful and familiar. This was Cassandra's knife. Lillian turned it and rubbed its edge on her thumb. It gave the satisfying scrape of a knife sharp enough to cut an onion in one easy swipe a good-looking blade. Lillian looked up to see Solveig approaching from around the cart. The snake is a good ally. It hides until it strikes, unseen and faster than the eye can track. Lillian covered the blade again and smiled at Solveig. She had put her helmet back on and Lillian couldn't help but look into its angry eyes. Is the cow better than the snake? Lillian asked, looking up to the helmet. Solveig smiled. Better at what? Lillian wasn't sure how to respond. Solveig looked to Mr Atkop. You are a man of science? Mr Atkop nodded slightly. You will help me with the manure? Mr Atkop seemed to understand and nodded in agreement. Lillian wasn't sure what he was agreeing to, but didn't want to pass up an opportunity to ask Solveig something. Will you show me how to use it? She held up the cloth with the blade in it. Solveig looked amused. Once everything is ready and only if there is time. Lillian smiled. Solveig began to walk away when Lillian asked another question. Are we going to be okay? Those men from earlier, they looked nasty. Solveig walked back and knelt in front of Lillian. Her helmet dropped to Lillian's eye level. Lillian could see the cow's angry eyes and the detail shaped into its nose and ears. It was a beautiful piece of equipment. Solveig looked at her and spoke softly. Men, nasty or nice, die every day. Let me ask you, do you think more of them die from snakes? She gestured to Lillian's knife. Or from cows? Solveig had a fire in her eyes as she said this, Lillian was blindsided by the question. As Solveig got up and turned to walk away, Lillian almost called out her answer. She was going to say snakes. Surely more men die from snake bites, she thought. But she caught herself as she remembered the two farmers discussing Sam's death. She remembered the many fences around cow fields and the sheer number and size of the animals kept behind them. This realisation both frightened and reassured her. A few hours later, Solveig called for everyone to meet at the farmhouse. They had set up barricades along the road leading up to it. Mr Attercop had helped with those while Lillian had been moving the carts to the straw shed. She had helped Anna and Mrs Hayes make the shed as comfortable as possible and they stayed there while Lillian returned to the farmhouse with Fritha trotting beside her. The farmers had gathered various pitchforks, sharp-looking rakes and hoes, They'd even found a couple of hunting bows, which the two mercenary men were busy checking. The team had been boarding up windows, laying bear traps in the grass and generally preparing the place for a small war. Lillian wondered if this was all a bit much, but reminded herself of what Mr Atikop had said, that every advantage counts. She felt the weight of her new knife tucked into the back of her belt. She had practised getting it out without cutting herself, and was growing more used to carrying it with every hour that went by. Even Fritha had been unsure at first, giving it a proper sniff before letting Lillian tuck it into her belt. Solveig stood on the steps leading up to the farmhouse door. The sun had set, but the various torches dotted around the yard cast a flickering light onto her calm face. "'Tonight, we are ghosts,' she started." We make this farm look like it has been abandoned. We pretend to have run into hiding. We let them take the paths we have set out for them. You know where your traps are, and you know your signal to spring them. Our goal is to protect the farm and each other, which means that if our opponents run away, then we have victory. Let them run from the ghosts that haunt this place. Let us strike fear into their hearts and make them think twice before attacking innocent folk. Lillian felt pride and admiration swell in her heart. Solveig looked glorious in her dazzling silver, the torchlight burning brightly in the helmet cow's eye. Lillian wanted to applaud, but Solveig's face grew serious. There may be times when you are faced with a difficult choice. There is no shame in not wanting to end a life, but know this. Tonight, there may come a time when not ending a man's life means that he will end yours. Don't let indecision make that choice for you. Make it now and save yourself regret. Understand? Lillian thought hard. She had never considered the actual possibility of killing someone. The knife felt heavy in her belt. She thought for a few moments and made her choice, quietly and to herself. She absent-mindedly touched Fritha behind her ears. Solvig wished everyone luck, and people started walking towards their designated posts. Solveig looked at Lillian and beckoned her to her side. Lillian gave Mr Atikob a look. She nodded solemnly, and he nodded back. She knew that he had the choice to go, and she was thankful that he'd decided to stay. She looked back at Solvig and ran to catch her up. She was heading for the barn. One of the mercenary men walked next to her. When Lillian caught them up, they walked in silence until they reached the barn. The man from the Hundred, who was tall and broad-shouldered and wore a helmet shaped like a bat's head, heaved the barn doors open and waited until they were inside to shut them. He kept watch while Lillian and Solveig spoke. Show me how you fight. Solveig spoke softly presumably wanting to keep noise to a minimum since they were laying in ambush. Lillian wrinkled her nose at the smoky smell. There was a glimmer of starlight that shone through the burnt roof, but apart from that there was no light. Lillian could see Solveig's armour, but had to squint to see her expression. Timidly, Lillian brought out her new dagger and shifted her weight into a guarding stance. Fritha seemed to recognise it from her training and crouched behind Lillian's legs, the hairs on her back raising preemptively. Solvig looked intently at her. Not a single attack had been made, but Lillian suddenly felt every potential weakness was exposed. Solvig's eyes pierced through darkness and defense. In a silent flash of movement Solvig was holding an axe in each hand. Lillian's heart began to beat, heavy with nerves, Her eyes darted from the axes to Solveig's face, to her feet, to the barn. Solveig looked at Lillian's eyes. Your eyes give you away, she said. Look into my eyes and nowhere else. If you look at my right side, be sure to strike my left. Understand? Lillian nodded and focused her gaze on Solveig's eyes, or at least where she presumed her eyes were. In the dim light, all she could see were the eyes of the cow on her helmet. They moved closer and Lillian stepped back, Fritha effortlessly getting out of her way as she did. The two stepped around each other. Occasionally Solveig would shift her arms or her stance. Lillian would react to every shift like a potential attack, jerking her hands up in defence or ducking before anything was thrown her way. She felt foolish bouncing around while Solveig moved so fluidly. Breathe, find a rhythm, she said. When you react like this, she mimicked Lillian's quick tensing, bringing her shoulders up and her arms in close to her chest. You give me a window in the offbeat. Watch. Solveig put her right foot out quickly. Lillian thought she was dashing in for a right slash and her body twitched into a defence. But... Half a second afterwards, Lillian found herself staring at the blade of Solveig's left axe. Your defence is good, but only if every attack is true. One feint and you are done. She took the blade away and Lillian sighed in relief. Fritha stepped between them, growling her strange, jangling growl. Solveig's eyes narrowed at the strange sound. Lillian spoke up before Solveig could ask a question. How do I counter a feint? Solveig snapped out of her focus on Fritha. You wait until the last moment to defend. You stay calm, you keep your weapon close to your body, and you shift your whole upper body, not just your arms, when you parry. She brought her axes in close to her chest and demonstrated her pivoting defences. Lillian watched as her shoulders span left and right in attempts to dodge an imaginary enemy. Just then, the barn lit up, and Solveig's shifting, silver form could be seen clearly dodging and parrying, dancing to no music in the light of the moon which was now directly above the barn. Lillian wanted to watch for longer. She was raptured by the grace and power. She could have watched all night, but just then, the mercenary with the bat helmet turned to them both and spoke. They're here. hello. This is Simon, your reader and writer. As ever, the fantastic music was by Tom Figgins. Thank you for listening to episode 20. This feels like a milestone worth a little celebration. If you've listened this far, you are literally my favourite people in the world. I really enjoy writing and producing Ben Luna and I hope you enjoy listening to it. As ever, if you are enjoying it, uh, why not write a review on Apple Podcasts or a tweet? Remember to tag us at Ben Luna Podcast. If you feel like you enjoy it enough to buy me a coffee, if you ran into me in the street, say, you can subscribe to the Ben Luna Patreon. Not only do I get the support and warm feelings from that coffee, you get rewards and extra content as well. In fact, once we reach 50 subscribers, the patrons will get access to a whole new podcast that takes place in Ben Luna. It will have new stories and new characters, as well as the occasional run-in with familiar faces from Ben Luna. Thank you again for sticking with us. We love and appreciate you. Join us next week for the finale of Season 2. Bye.